I had been considering a long-form project for 2020 for a while. But the moment that the project officially started was when I made a new document in BBEdit and titled it 20 Max. It was January 2nd, 2020 at 11.32 a.m. The 20 Max for 2020 project really bracketed my year. Now, originally my intent was to launch it in the spring, but as you might expect, as with everything else, my plans were derailed by the pandemic. But I kept working on it, and I launched the project with 22 weeks left in the year, so I had a couple weeks to play with, and I would need to use those weeks as a break. As the project went along, I heard from people who wondered why I had omitted certain Macs from the list. Big apologies to all you fans of the Centrus 650 out there. I went through my original list of 42 possible candidates the other week, and I started to ponder the stories that I didn't end up telling. This, one last time, is 20 Max for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. It's 2021, and this is the search for the 21st Mac. I'm joined now by Stephen Hackett, who collaborated with me on uh, all the 20 Max for 2020 video project, the, the videos that accompanied the podcast and the and the essays. Hi, Stephen. Is this not a video? I put a suit on. Like, I look pretty good. Yeah, you should see what I'm wearing, but you never will. <laughs> is that a podcast t-shirt? You never will. It is not. Um, so it is the, you know, the end of the project, essentially, and has been yeah. for a little bit. And I, after all was said and done... Um, I definitely had a list of things that I thought would make it on, like the 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 cutting room floor of of Max that didn't make it. Um, the moment that really got me, however, was when somebody pointed out that I only had one Intel Mac on my list. Yeah, I, I remember because you shared the original list with me and it was longer. I don't remember if there were Intel Macs on the longer list and they just didn't make the cut. But I found that really interesting, and I was curious, like, do you think that is just a matter of perspective? Like, we're closer to those in time, so it's harder to know their importance or notability when they've only been gone, you know, maybe three, four, five, eight, ten years or something? Do we need more historical uh, view to understand their place? Do you think that's maybe what went into that? In reflection, I think it's two things. One of which is exactly what you said, which is I approached this project with the idea that I would be telling stories about sort of like how this, this, this computer represents an era of the Mac or shaped the Mac or has some good stories about like a, a misstep that Apple made. And I really erred on the side of not telling stories that weren't done, that weren't completed, right? Like, I just decided, we don't know how this is going to end up. We don't know the story of the, you know, new Mac Pro or something, right? Like, it just got introduced, and it hasn't been discontinued, and we don't know what replaces it, and we don't know the arc of history. In fact, what's really interesting is... I constructed the list before Apple officially announced it was moving to its own processors. Mm -hmm. And that feels like a door that is now very slowly 
closing, but about to close. And it closes the era. And I think it would have changed my list to be at the other side of that era. But we still aren't quite there yet. So I do think it's it's a reluctance to judge history a little too quickly. I keep on telling people it's kind of like how they make baseball players wait five years before they get elected to the Hall of Fame. And most Halls of Fame have something like that because it's like in the heat of the moment, like, oh, that guy was the greatest. And then you wait five years and like, yeah, he's not so great, right? You want to <laughs> have that time to consider, or that guy's just another guy. And then five years later, they're like, no, no, actually, he was not just another guy. He was great. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, but the other piece of it, I think, is that Apple, when Jobs came back, Apple had this flurry of innovation. Uh, when the Mac was the only product that they had, they were working on the iPod. Eventually, they got the iPod. But in those early days, they had to fix Apple, and that meant fixing the Mac. And so you saw rapid product iteration. There are a lot of stories from that era that I told in the 20 Mac series. But you get to the point where they they do the G3 iMac, and they do the G4 iMac, and then they do the G5 iMac that is just a screen. And although it went from plastic to metal, kind of hasn't changed since then, right. except at least in the big idea version. And I think that there's truth there that I hadn't even thought about myself, which is they did so much work on the Mac in those early days of jobs. And then after the Intel transition, you know, they're on to the iPhone. They're they're working on the iPhone at that point, And then the iPad after that. And you could say that, that Apple's attention was drawn away from the Mac, but I think also it would be fair to say Apple had just given the Mac a decade of attention and had gotten it in a place where it was much stronger. And so it was OK to take their foot off the gas a little bit. And and because the G5, the, the cheese grater tower was established and the iMac shape was established and we had you know we had metal laptops that were still needed to be refined but they were all happening it was all kind of going in that direction so it's a little bit of of both those things but as a result like post intel transition they they didn't do that much they didn't feel the need and i think honestly they probably didn't need to do there was no desperate need right like there was in 1997 sure yeah i mean i, I think about it like they had a, a bar they wanted to cross with the Mac. And so they worked really hard and iterated and some stuff worked and some stuff didn't. And we talked about examples of both in that early Jobs 2.0 era, looking at you, G4 Cube. Yeah. And once they sort of crossed that bar, whatever it was, like, hey, this is what the iMac is. And it will improve. I mean, if you look at iMac G5 and a 5K iMac, like, you're right, the big idea is the same, but they've kept evolving and building on it, you know, year after year after year to where the 5K iMac's a really good machine. Like, yeah, it's due for a design change, but I think the big idea of what the iMac is is not going to change if it looks like the XDR all of a sudden. Yeah, unless right? they but, unless they do something that puts like a, the computer in the base and floats it again like it did with the iMac G4 or something like the Surface Studio that you know drops down and becomes a drafting table and you can draw on it with the Apple Pencil and stuff like that. Unless they do something that extreme, it's going to be an iMac, even if they bring in the bezels and stuff, right? It's still going to be a computer behind a monitor that's, you know, in the in a little stand. Like that's mm-hmm. that's they 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 figured it out. So I you know, part of my in my in my secret, you know, heart of hearts I kind of want that G4 iMac revisited yeah. again, but I'm not sure. I mean, 
this is the proven technology. This is the one that that worked. Yeah. I think that's one reason this Apple Silicon transition is so exciting. It's like, oh, there's the possibility that if they're ever going to do a change like this, this would be the time. Even though history doesn't really back that up in the last 15 years in the, you know, in the Intel Intel era very famously, most of the Intel Macs were basically the PowerPC Macs just yeah. better. Yeah, for sure. And really the only one that drastically changed was the 12-inch and 14-inch iBook kind of met in the middle and we got the 13-inch MacBook. But even that like if you if you back away from the table and take your glasses off, very clearly the same idea right. of a computer. Right. And I think that it is an interesting question to pose, which is if we suppose that Apple let the Mac kind of stagnate until Steve Jobs came back or the ideas they had were bad ideas. And then Jobs led to this era of um, really iterating and trying a bunch of stuff and some of it worked and some of it didn't and coming through that with a much better idea of what the Mac wanted to be. That was a that was a change prompted by Apple being in trouble and by a new management team that was trying to fix things. Um, and, and what you say is exactly right. The Intel transition didn't require that and they didn't do it. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. with Apple Silicon, <laughs> it doesn't require it. And the first round of Apple Silicon Macs don't offer anything exterior, you know, any exterior differences. They're, they look exactly the same. They're very different on the inside, but they're, they look exactly the same. So my question is, what prompts them, if anything, to, to take that moment and say, oh, it's time to reinvent whatever, yeah. the laptop, the, the, the iMac. Um, and, and if not the Apple Silicon transition, then when? And the answer may be never, or it may be that they don't need prompting. They'll just keep watching it. And every so often, every two or three or five or seven years, some category will get a new Apple take on it. But it has been a remarkably static uh, decade plus for, for the Mac. Mm-hmm. In fact, in thinking about the Intel Macs that could have made the list not maybe not now but in the future the ones that jump out to me are the ones that did try to break the mold and almost every time that didn't go well so you think about something like the 12 inch macbook yep. or the trash can mac pro hey we're going to take something that's been successful for a long time and we're going to to do something really different with it kind of push it in a new direction and in those examples at least Overall, the market basically rejected the rejected Apple's changes, right? That's why we still have the MacBook Air, because people wanted that. They didn't want the MacBook. Right. It's why I have a giant computer with holes in the front of it under my desk, because people, like the trash can didn't meet their needs, and it was rejected by those who it had been made for in Apple's eyes. I find that really interesting. Yeah, and I think they made some engineering decisions too, right? Like sure. the, the, part of the problem with the trash can Mac Pro is that it 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 went the the computer industry went in a direction that was not what Apple anticipated and they yeah. they couldn't yeah. cool it and people wanted expansion that it didn't offer and it was it was also a good example of Apple kind of misreading what people wanted and instead getting dazzled by doing something bold and and different, and it was bold and different from a design perspective, but it wasn't what people wanted. And the 12-inch MacBook is an interesting idea. I want to hear the story about that because it so obviously seems to be the ARM uh, laptop design, and they just weren't ready to make a move to Apple Silicon at that point. And so it 
get got put out with this low, really low power and sad Intel processor. Um, and then they built the but- butterfly keyboard for it. <laughs> and that has its whole thing. I think, yes, in hindsight, I know we're essentially talking about the 21st Mac here in 2021, but uh, I think two strong contenders for the 21st Mac would be the 12-inch MacBook uh, be- because of the butterfly keyboard story, right? Like if I approached it the way I approached all the other uh, installments in this series, I would think to myself, well, that's a great story because it lets me talk about this weird computer, but also it lets me talk about the butterfly keyboard. And it lets me talk about like uh, the cooling system required that it, that it avoided and uh, that now we know that there is a fanless MacBook Air. So we, we've seen that kind of finally pay off, but way too late for the 12-inch MacBook. But I could, really, I could tell the story of the butterfly keyboard with that, which we all know, right? Which is part of the reason not to tell that story in 2020 is because we just lived it. So do I need to tell that story to people who just went through that? It may be too soon. Um, but the other one that would be right there with it is either the trash can Mac Pro or now I'm thinking the iMac Pro. Because as we talk, the iMac Pro has just been officially discontinued. And what I like about using the iMac Pro as a lens in you know through which to see Apple's problem with Pro Max in the 2010s is it's a good computer in a way that the trash can Mac Pro was not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was <laughs> misguided in the sense that it was it was a path that Apple then chose before they even announced it to go away from which was to kill the Mac Pro and replace it with the iMac Pro. So that story that's a good story, right? Because it's the whole Apple lost its way and then Apple calls Matthew Panzerino and John Gruber and a handful of other people to Cupertino for lunch to talk about how they really do love the Mac after all and by the way in 3 years we'll do a new Mac Pro. Like such a weird story to tell. Um, and the iMac Pro is, is as I just wrote about, because um, it just got discontinued, it is the road not taken. It is Apple thinking this is our strategy going forward for the Mac is we're just going to throw some Xeon processors and iMac cases and we're done. And uh, and then something happened inside Apple where they're like, no, no, that's not going to be the strategy. And right. uh, so it's it's a great representative of, of that moment now, too. And the the output of that was a great computer. I mean, in his yeah. link about it, Gruber said, uh, I'm quoting, I'd hold it up as the best Mac Apple made period of the entire Intel era. And I think I agree. I mean, it is an incredible machine, totally silent. You're not having to sell a kidney to buy it, even though it is expensive compared to the Mac Pro. Not that expensive. And so even though they changed direction, they, they I think they knew they had something good in the iMac Pro. They knew clearly the Mac Pro was going to take a couple of years to get out the door. So even though it was sort of a stopgap, or that's what it became, it was still really good. And if the Mac Pro had gone away, I would have been happy using my iMac Pro until I transitioned to Apple Silicon for my workstation because it was a fantastic, fantastic computer. Yep, I'm... I'm uh speaking to you from one right now i did this whole series on an imac pro i and and it's it is great it is legitimately great because it was meant to be like it was meant to be the high-end mac so of course it's good and of course they put the work into it it's just funny because then by the time they even like they hadn't even announced it right they hadn't even announced it they announced it in june and in april Mm -hmm. they call everybody in and say forget it 
we're going to do a new Mac Pro. The old Mac Pro is dead. And then the iMac Pro comes out and it's like, what? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. You, you write a lot, uh, or you've written before about the Mac Mini being a, a pressure release valve right. for the Mac line, which I think is super smart. The idea that the Mac Mini fits all of these weird needs for different people. And so... It's good that it sticks around because, yeah, you can use it on your desk, but you can also put it in a closet and make it a build server or have it under your TV like I do, all sorts of things. In a way, the uh, the Mac Pro became that because I think if the if the iMac Pro had been the answer, right, the, okay, the trash can's going away. If you want the fastest Mac, it's just a, an iMac, you know, a, co- a couple clicks darker when we pour yeah. the, the dye into the aluminum. That didn't actually fix a lot of the problems with the trash can because it wasn't expandable. In fact, it was less expandable than the trash can because at least the trash can you could upgrade the RAM. <laughs> you couldn't do that in the uh, the iMac Pro. Couldn't do it yourself at least. Mm-hmm. And so I think Apple had to uh, to move to uh, bring the Mac Pro back. But yeah, as far as number twenty one, uh, I think the iMac Pro is is definitely the machine to look at. Uh, the other ones that I had on the on the cutting room floor that people have brought up that I think are worth a mention, um, 12-inch PowerBook G4 yeah. was my favorite Mac of all time for a long time. If people ask what was the best Mac ever, I'd be like, oh, that 12-inch PowerBook, because it was a small laptop, but it was a still G4, and it had a lot of power, and it was literally, I think this is its, um, its legacy, is it was uh, as wide as the keyboard. Like there was a little plastic yep. thing at the edge of the keyboard that was the end of the computer, but it was right up against those keys. So it was literally, we can't make this computer any narrower without shrinking the keyboard away from standard size, which was the line that they um, that they were going to draw. And 12-inch MacBook basically <laughs> does the same thing. But um, I love that computer. I'm not quite sure what story I'm telling there other than, you know, a history of small Macs or trying to have small, powerful Macs or, you know, I'm not quite sure. And part of the criteria of doing this series was, you know, I got to have a story about it. It's not just like, oh, it's adorable, even though it's totally adorable. Yeah, I think out of the machines in this era, like it's the cult favorite. Like even people who didn't have one, like know about it and they wanted one at the time because it looked so cool. Yeah. Um, I throw the original MacBook in there too. Um, you know, it was little, I used the, uh, I used that MacBook for a while <laughs> as my Mac because I wanted a small laptop and it's like, it's, this is not a pro laptop and I did not care. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got some interesting design styles too. It's the first square, you know, square chiclet keyboard Mac laptop, which is a style that they've kept to this day, but that was the first time that they had, you know, this the square keycaps and then space between them, which was just a very different look than they had before. And they had the black tax, which is a fun story that literally with the same configuration, the black one cost $150 more. Yep. I had the black yeah. one, is matte black, and it got fingerprints all over it, but boy, it was so it cool. <laughs> gorgeous. Yeah. It looked so great. And my first video on YouTube that got lots of views ever was my video in my office at Macworld where I showed that you could replace um, the hard drive by going through the battery bay on the MacBook, which was such a great moment because Macs are often, Mac laptops are often very hard to service. As you know, having worked in an Apple store, very, very difficult to get to components. And the 12-inch MacBook, like two screws and there's the hard drive and it slides right out. It was amazing. 
it, it, yeah, it was a, a huge deal. Uh, and thankfully, they were easy to repair when the top cases cracked and that sort of stuff too. <laughs> they had some they had some problems. Mm. Um, well, you know the yeah, plastic the black computer, MacBook, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, plastic just comes off in your backpack. Uh, you know, the black one you did get a, a bigger hard drive, so I mean, yeah, yeah, it was right. still just a tax to look cool, which is totally fine. Um, I think you could spec up the white one to have the same hard drive though, and it was still one hundred and fifty dollars. Cheaper. Yeah, my, my brother had a black MacBook, <laughs> and I had a MacBook Pro, but I, man, I had lust in my heart after that. After it that great. laptop, it's the it's the computer that reminds me why it's a shame that Apple has settled on silver laptops. And I know you can get like the space gray, which, as you said, like the iMac, it's just like a couple of ticks of a darker gray, but it's essentially the same. In fact, out of context, I can't tell the difference between space gray and silver. It's only when I put them next to each other that I can see the difference. They're just metal gray laptops. And yeah, there is the gold, rose gold kind of thing that occasionally happens. But like the black MacBook, I keep thinking that looks so different from Mm -hmm. Apple's computers today. And it just reminds me that I would like to see Apple play with Mac style like they've played with iPod and iPhone style over the years. That's my color argument. I'll just make it again. I I would love to see a little more playfulness and some different looks from Apple in terms of uh, Mac laptops. What if, and just stick with me for a second, they injected the edges with rubber. Oh, boy. Colored. Mm -hmm. And then they had a handle. I like this. What, What if... I, I've got a time machine over here. You can uh, step right in. Step right yeah. in. Uh, do, would you like your uh, laptop in tangerine or key lime? The key lime will burn your retinas, but it's fine. Do you it's have, very bright. Do you have any other uh, objections? You were really good in the videos of sort of like uh, being a skeptic for my for my choices. Do you have anything anything I left out? Things that, that you think uh, yeah. you wish were included? There's, there's one that I'm surprised you haven't brought up yet, and it's the Retina MacBook Pro, the first one. Because I think that you could make the argument that while the MacBook Air, well, you didn't make this argument, that the good <laughs> MacBook Air, that second gen that was introduced at the Back to the Mac event, that that was the first modern Apple laptop, as we know them today, right? Unibody, mm-hmm. really thin, SSD, uh, you know, no, you know, a multi-touch trackpad, all that stuff. Fantastic computer. Yeah. But the... The the Retina MacBook Pro is like it's like part two of that story. Yep, and it it really was the first time that that there'd been a unibody MacBook Pro before this, but it had all the ports and stuff from before. And the Retina MacBook Pro was like the beginning of shedding of ports for lightness and thinness, and of course bringing Retina technology to the Mac, which now we enjoy across the line that took a lot longer than <laughs> it took what six years six years i think thanks a lot macbook air yeah seriously yeah it was six years uh 2012 to 2018 but you know i think i mean i don't know if it's in the top 20 but i feel like when we talk about those that were on the cutting room floor that one for me at least is definitely there so what's really funny is it was not even in my list of 40 <laughs> but I think what you've identified, because you make great points, and I think what you've identified is a blind spot that I have. Um, I, I was just Googling for this laptop and found, like, the, the best Mac of all time, says Marco Arment. 
And I showed Marco the Retina MacBook Pro for the first time because I had the review unit and this was at WWDC and we were having our party on the terrace at Macworld and I knew he was super interested and I'm like, here it is. Yeah, check it out. The reason it's a blind spot for me is because that original Retina MacBook Pro was a 15-inch laptop. Yeah. And, and if you haven't noticed, I hate big laptops. I hate them. I hate them. That's why I use the 12-inch plastic macbook instead of a macbook pro is because it was small that's why i love the 12 inch uh powerbook g4 it's why i like the macbook air and use the 11 inch macbook air right and so part of it i think is that uh is that uh i could have this product that tells the story of the laptops of the 2010s that is a product i'm fond of which is the macbook air and then there's the retina macbook pro which is a product that i have no fondness for at all Um, but i think this is a blind spot, and I think that I would probably seriously consider it because the story of not only, as you said, the progression of uh, of, of uh, laptop design, but also the, the Retina thing, like a whole conversation about high DPI on the Mac, which was um, there were years where we were talking about it. And in fact, there were yeah. years, one of the fun stories to tell would have been that Apple was telling developers to prepare for high DPI on the Mac. <laughs> at yeah. WWDC for like three years in a row, four years in a row. They kept saying, yeah, it's going to happen time. someday. You get big <laughs> icons in your apps, guys. Big icons, gotta, you're going to need them eventually. And then it finally happened. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll cop to that. I, that's probably something I should have given more serious consideration to. But I just remember, because I think I reviewed that one. I just remember um, picking it up and being like, whoa. 15 inches right because it's just not for me i know but that's my that's my own completely unfair personal bias uh well i mean i think it's that's probably true for most people maybe not the majority of like the audience that we talk to but like out in the world you see way more 13 inch notebooks they're cheaper they're more portable they weigh less like that makes sense but yeah thinking about the arc of the macbook pro and then later the macbook like it, it definitely started on that arc with the with the air but i feel like the retina macbook pro which was really only two years later i mean it really wasn't very long uh that i think really sort of pushed it to where uh where we are today and you know as we record this there's rumors that the next macbook pro will you know return with an hdmi port and mag safe so maybe market was right maybe it was the best mac uh, Mac laptop of all time. <laughs> Maybe we're just going to go back there and with you see, Apple Silicon. You see, that's actually a really great example of why I kind of feel like you need some time to to tell the whole story because it's a much more interesting story if they if they take the ports off and then they put them back, right? Yeah. That's, that's just a better story. In the grand sweep of history, when you can say, oh, um, oops. <laughs> and then in 2021, they all came back, right? Like then, then you can point to the the ones that brought it in the first place and said they actually got it right here and then they lost their way and then they came back. And that's just a more interesting story than they, they got it right and lost their way at the end, question mark. Like it, mm-hmm. it's, and nothing ever ends. It always keeps going on and on and on, but that's why you have that little waiting period. But, but yeah. I think you're, I, I think you're fair to call that one out that I was, I was unfair to that. By the way, um, I just looked and I didn't review that laptop because I am a good journalist editor reviewer person who knew i wasn't going to give it a fair shake and so i i had one of my other editors at macworld review at roman loyola reviewed that one uh, which is good because he was going to give it a much more fair shake than i was i mean like i i wouldn't 
I'm not going to bring my personal biases to the table. I would have reviewed it and just sort of said, well, I don't like 15-inch laptops, but that's irrelevant because that's what this product is. But, you know, when you've got a staff, you can afford to do things like say, how about somebody better suited review this product? (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that anymore, but I, I could back then, so... The cat's not a very good rider, is what you're saying. Oh, no. Not at all. Uh, one last one. Okay. The Molar Mac. No, I'm just, I'm just oh, kidding. Oh, I was going to mention uh. the Molar um, only because <laughs> it was in my list of 40, 43, and because it's weird. But I think there are yep. enough weird computers on the list and honestly, if you're going to talk about a G3 all-in-one, you should talk about the iMac. <laughs> which yeah. was number one. The Molar Mac is like false start iMac. So it is. it would be on my list of the 10 weirdest Macs ever, though. Yeah, and it's got a special place in my heart as one of the first Macs I used, and I own one now, and mm-hmm. it's very heavy. I remember, uh, yeah. I, I, I can still, I can picture it. We had one at Macworld, and, and I remember it sitting in the Macworld lab and uh, it being super weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange computer. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's part of the iMac story, yeah. you know, more than anything, that it was sort of this weird prototypical iMac, and it, it had some of those touches. I mean, you mentioned it talking about the, the blue and white G3, that the beige machine before it. Is that the one you called the most beige Mac ever? Yeah, the beige G3 tower. Yeah, very beige. But it's got but it's got the little green yeah. triangle that's made of plastic, which yeah. is literally, I mean, and I'm not making this up, it's Johnny Ive saying... I'm alive. Yep. <laughs> like yeah. Johnny I was trying and and there's a there's probably a book that's already been written about it. I was going to say there's a story to be told here. There's probably a book that's been written about it. In fact, Leander Connie might have written it and it's the uh, Johnny Ive's brain uh story, but or I guess it's Johnny Ive. I don't know the name of the book, but it it's Leander's good and he wrote a book about Steve Jobs's brain and then he wrote a follow-up that was about Johnny Ive. And you could draw on your little yarn uh, conspiracy chart. You could bring up the Emate the beige G3 tower and the Molar Mac and connect them all to the iMac because it was clearly Johnny Ive experimenting with all of the, and I guess 20th anniversary Mac you could throw in there too. Mm -hmm. These are all the presence of Johnny Ive before Steve Jobs came back, desperately trying stuff out to, to experiment and make computers more interesting. And they ended up manifesting in all sorts of dumb ways until Steve Jobs <laughs> came back and realized that this guy really had something. And what if we, you know, steered that in a better direction? Well, I think I speak for everybody who has uh, listened or read or watched any of this. Jason, this has been an incredible project to, to take in. I thank you again for letting me be a part of it. It means a lot. And, uh, you know, we got to do iPods or something next, right? Oh boy, um, I, I don't do that. Don't do iPods. I'm not going to do iPods, but I will say, um, it was a it was a an all consuming project. By the end of it, uh, yeah. it's going to be a little while before I I I knew what I was getting into. A 20 week project. I knew what I was getting into. By the end, I was definitely sucking wind, and I needed to take a break. <laughs> that said, I I have thought about doing a project like this again about Apple products in history. And um, I don't know if I ever will, but if I do, the one that I'm toying with is this idea that there's everything else. Like literally there's everything else. Um, I might even exclude iPhones and, and iPads because as you know, better than almost anybody, Apple history is full 
of weird stuff that mm-hmm. <laughs> that you just like what is the story behind that and i've actually thought about uh, other than the overhead i mean doing a podcast and a video and an essay it's a lot right but like it was a lot but could i fill a year with a little write up about a weird apple product for 52 weeks undoubtedly now i'm not going to do i'm not committing to a 52 week project but i'm just saying like there are so many strange things in Apple history that are not Macs or even iPhones or iPads or iPods, really, that would that you could tell stories about. And so maybe at some point I will try something like that again. Um, probably not the uh, the multicast, the triple feature <laughs> thing that I did for this one. But uh, once I started writing the essays, I thought it would, I would really be missing an opportunity if I didn't do a podcast and uh, and and do some videos. And uh, that's that's how we got where where we were at the end of 2020, which is I was very tired. So uh, hopefully, you know, there will be more to come eventually of some sort. But I appreciate you being on um, this journey with me, and I appreciate everybody who kept this feed in their podcast player and uh, keep it in there again. If I uh, do something else down this path or I find some old interview that I think is worth throwing in here, I will continue to do that. But I think officially this is the end. So Stephen, thank you for being a part of 20 max for 2020. Thank you for having me. It really does mean a lot. And thanks to everybody out there. It's not 2020 anymore. Not by a long shot. Goodbye. <laughs>